Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to welcome you to uh, the next episode of our bi-weekly Getting It Right, the brand strategy podcast. And as usual, our goal is to inspire you, our listeners, with new innovative ideas about brands, about brand strategy, and about brand growth. And we hope that each podcast will leave you, our listeners, with at least sort of one inspirational idea to act differently when managing your brands. So my name is Dauer Rademaker. I'm a global brand strategist. I live in Amsterdam. Uh, and with me is my co-host and also a global brand strategist, uh, Chris Murphy uh, from his hometown, Memphis in Tennessee. Hi, Chris. Hi, Dawa. That's Nashville, although they're both very Yes, I know. I know. I see. I keep, <laughs> I think this is about the third time I'm getting it wrong. I don't know. It's, it's Chris. okay. It's yeah. okay. But they're, they're both beautiful cities though, right? Beautiful and musical, absolutely. Beautiful musical, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, the two of us uh, will discuss with uh, some inspiring uh, guests every two weeks an innovative brand topic uh, on a show. So listen, if you're interested in brands, you want to be inspired with the latest brand thinking, make sure to follow us on Getting It Right, the Brand Strategy podcast series. Now, we've had already six podcasts and we've talked about fluid uh, brand strategies. Uh, we, we've been dancing with duality. We've been talking about consumer conscious organizations, distinctive brand assets, the art of more, shaping 2025. But today, today we'll be going back to the basics and we'll talk about the importance of brand positioning. And we'll talk about why it's important not to overlook the real fundamentals. And uh, I'll hand over to Chris to introduce our guest. But I you should also talk about the fact that we kind of have two guests, I believe. We have both Laura Hurst, but there's also Bob Bob, who might sort of join us here and there. So, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we will be sure to include Bob Bob the cat as appropriate. So, hi, everyone. Um, so, as Dallas said, our guest today is Laura Hurst. She's an associate partner with Strategy 3 in London. And uh, before she, she joined us here at Ipsos, uh, Laura worked as a brand expert at various consultancies. She's also been a brand leader at companies like Platinum Guild and the Royal Mint. Uh, so we know she's got a wealth of experience as a brand expert. And we're really excited to have her here as, as a guest. And um, unfortunately, uh, we're in a non-visual medium here, so you're not going to be able to see the great long-tailed cat named Bob Bob. Um, <laughs> Uh, in, in the pandemic, uh, we, we've all gotten to know him so well because his four-foot-long tail graces the screen in pretty much every call that uh, that, that Laura <laughs> participates. <laughs> um, so, uh, as as we get going here, uh, I, I would like to uh, ask a few questions, Laura, about uh, your volunteer experience with World Challenge Expeditions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I certainly can. And first of all, just saying thanks, Dawa. Thanks, Chris, for having both me and Bob Bob here. Um, <laughs> you'd be very pleased to know Bob Bob is keeping my lap warm at the moment and will possibly wake up and make a lot of noise. So I apologize in advance if that happens. So, yeah, um, interestingly, you picked out the World Challenge um, expeditions. So this is actually a number of years ago. I was helping to lead an expedition with this program that works with schools. Um, across the UK and it essentially provides students with an opportunity to go and experience a new culture. There are always different components of it that are around helping a community. In our case we were um, helping build part of a school up in Kashmir and then there's an expedition part of it and for us that was about a five-week trek through the Himalayas in Jammu and Kashmir which is an absolutely incredible experience. Possibly wow. made more um, incredible by the fact that 
it didn't actually go to plan. So the plan was to summit a mountain called Stock Cangri. Um, but unfortunately, two of the girls that were on the expedition had some health challenges. So I ended up as the female expedition leader, having to take them off the mountain. And I was incredibly disappointed. We were at advanced base camp and I was within 24 hours of summiting a Himalayan mountain. So very disappointed to have to take them off the mountain. However, when we got back down to Leh, which is was the base for our, our trek, um, there were cr- literally crowds of people in the street, and we were like, "What's going on?" And it actually turned out that the Dalai Lama was coming through town that no! day. We were standing at the side of the road, and the Dalai Lama paused in front of us, made eye contact with me, and made a blessing signal. Oh my so, God! It changed your life, Laura. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm a pretty lucky person. I'm, I'm pointing towards that moment for it. And that's when you decided brands are your life. <laughs> that, that was it. It was it was like a sign. We're three, we're three minutes into the podcast and we've already ranged from Baba the cat to the Dalai Lama. I'm liking this one, guys. Yeah, this is a good one. So let's so let's move from here. See, I was, I was trying to make the bridge to brands, uh, Chris. So let's let's try try that. Good again. luck with that. Good luck yeah. with that. Dalai. So 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 today, Laura, we're going to be talking about sort of brand positioning. Uh, so my, my, you know, the, the first question, just to get us started, why brand positioning? Why should we care about it? Why is it so important? Okay. So in Chris's intro to me, he talked about the fact that a lot of my experience sits in the brand strategy side of the world. So obviously I'm slightly biased on this, but it is something that I'm really, really passionate about. And over the last couple of years, as I sit in my role as a, as a consultant and think about what do my clients struggle with? What are the challenges? What should I be providing advice and support on to be a trusted partner to those people? And and what I've observed is that there's been a lot of talk and a lot of buzz around purpose. And I think this is a bit controversial. It's become a bit of a distraction. And it's not to say it's incredibly important. And I hope through this conversation, I, I really do reinforce that. But I think it can be a bit of a distraction. And that along with such a focus on tactics. You know, mm-hmm. if we think about brands who are talking about technological advances and social media and Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on which side of the um, Atlantic you're on, um, those things I think can get in the way of brand positioning. It's lost its sexiness and it's not something that's talked about a lot. And I think that's a real shame because I think it's incredibly important. So to give you a bit of an example, if I think about me sort of scratching my head and going out into the world and thinking about this. There was one moment a couple of years ago, I was in London and I was walking along the street and it was during the summer. So it was around the time of Pride and every bank it felt like I walked past had a rainbow poster in the window and had something around London Pride, we support you. And I was sitting there going, really? And I was slightly incredulous as to the veracity of these claims that were in the posters. And so I did a bit of research. I went back, um, ever the brand strategist and enthusiast, I was like, I'm going to investigate this from a brand perspective. Um, And I went and had a look at the websites and had a look at social media content. And nowhere was there anything that substantiated this. And it just felt like you've gone after this purpose because someone in an insight team has told you it's important to consumers, which it absolutely is. It's important to us as a society. And therefore, yeah. you've gone and spoken about it. But what have you got to back it up? 
Right. So is it is it just the problem of you need to be able to back it up, your brand purpose or brand sustainability, or is, has it also become kind of a table stake, you think? Yeah, so I think that's very true. I think there's a couple of, if we dissect it a bit and sort of what I think the problems are on that, I think there are kind of two and you've touched upon them both there. There's one yeah. is that if you have this brand purpose and you're thinking of it solely as a brand purpose and that be a fix-all, then there's a challenge in that if it doesn't tr translate into your positioning, then it's not going to make sense in the minds of consumers. As a brand, mm -hmm. what we're wanting to do essentially as brand managers, as marketeers, is build brand equity, right? That, that's our job. That's my job when I'm working on brand strategy with clients. And I think that you can split that into two things. One is awareness and one is your the brand associations that you have in the mind of your consumer. And in order to build that, you should be using things like purpose and positioning. So, Laura, yeah. if, I, if I back up the bus on you just mm. a little bit, let, let's just make sure everybody's uh, on the same page in yeah. terms of the definition of terms, right? When you use the word brand positioning, I suspect if we, we go out in the halls and, uh, you know, survey 10 people on the definition, we'll probably get at least seven responses back, yeah. different responses back, you know. So, so, yeah, do you mind just stepping back and kind of defining the term? No, that's absolutely fine. Okay, so yeah, if we think about brand positioning then and how that links to brand purpose, I think that's important that we have clear in our minds what we mean by those things. And when I talk about brand positioning, I'm essentially talking about the thing that you want your consumer to think about you when they think about your brand. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. And your brand purpose is what you're there, why you exist. So if brand purpose is why you exist and brand positioning is what you want your consumer to think of when they think about you, then essentially your positioning is the associations. If you focus solely on brand purpose, and in particular, if you think about brand purpose as being something very closely aligned to a big sustainability agenda, mm -hmm. then I think what you're doing is risking muddling the consumer associations with what your brand is about. So we see examples of brands adopting a purpose that relates to some big environmental sustainability issue. And those mm -hmm. things are important, as I mentioned before, they're important to us and they're important to our planet. But if in the mind of the consumer, you're not acting as a brand in support of that purpose in the things that you do everywhere else, in the products that you produce, in the services that you produce, in the way in which you behave as a company, then going after that purpose without considering your positioning is inherent with risk. Mm -hmm. so Very good, is, makes sense. Is, so is brand purpose more linked to your brand DNA? I think the brand purpose can be linked to your brand DNA. And I think there are a lot of words out there for what yeah. we have. You can have brand DNA, you can have brand belief, you can have the vision, the mission. Exactly. Yeah. For me, purpose should be a North Star. It should be a directional element that is enduring. It is what you want as a brand to set out and achieve in the world. So if we think about some good examples of that, um, I really like Barbie um, and the work that Mattel have done there. 
Mm-hmm. The reason that Barbie exists is the husband and wife couple who created it back in the 50s were looking at the different options of toys that were available to their children. And their son had all these different things he could play with that enabled him to project himself into a future version of himself that was really interesting. So he could be an astronaut, he could be a train driver, he could be a policeman, he could be a fireman. But when they looked at what their daughter had to play with, she had baby dolls. So all that was telling her was that she could be a mother. And they thought that's not right. So that's why they created Barbie, which I think for me, when I first heard that, I was like, wow, when you think about how wrong the brand went, but that's a really strong purpose to be something that enables young girls to believe in a future vision of themselves that is something really valued and really inspirational. And that's slightly different from your positioning. Your positioning is the associations that you want the consumer to have when they think of your brand versus the competition. So what emotional benefits, what functional benefits, what does it make you feel? It's slightly different from purpose. Yeah, makes sense, Laura. And so as we pivot a bit from purpose to positioning, yeah, what are some other examples of things that brands can do to get that bit right? Okay, so to get it right, I think the most important thing is spending time to understand where your brand is. So there's a couple of things that you can do to do that. But for me, there's about interrogating the heritage and the roots and the history of your brand. Go back to the founder story and really work out what was at the heart of the brand. What was it? What was its intention when it was created? And then you can look at what do your consumers currently say about you? What do your loyalists say about you? What are the associations that they have that keep keep them buying, keep them choosing you over the competition? Because it's there that you'll be able to scratch around and really unearth these associations that are really compelling, that are driving their choice to choose you for the first time or continuing to choose you once they're already customers of yours. And that's what's going to drive equity. It's making sure you can continue to maintain those associations that they have with you. And Laura, I noticed you've you've written a good bit in the past about just the art of simplification around Mm. positioning. Can, Can you expand on that a bit? Absolutely. So I work with a lot of clients and I work with a lot of different brand positioning frameworks and some of them have purpose in, some of them don't, some of them have DNA in, some of them don't. A lot of them have an awful lot of levels in. And if we think about as marketers, we're creating this, we're very close to the truth of it. And when we read something, it might make sense. But that's only the very, very start of a journey. You know, our brand positioning when it goes out into the organization needs to be executed by marketing teams, by category teams, by all sorts of teams within the business, the R&D and innovation teams. And if they interpret something slightly differently than the intention because of a word or because of um, the way in which a visual is presented, then there's a risk that that then is translated into the execution in the way it wasn't intended. So the more stuff you put into a positioning, the more risk there is in it not going out into the world and coming out in front of the world of consumers as you intended it to. So for me, simplification is absolutely key. And I am I think then 
with clients, what I always try to do is find the right framework that is going to work for their business because of the way yeah. processes work and systems work. And, and Laura, could you say if you um, uh, compare it to writing a book or actually writing poetry, where you start off with uh, uh, complexity and then you change, edit it and then yeah. you end up with few words. And so, so, so my, my point is, I think what you mean by simplification is not making it super simple for yourself, but you yeah. have to start probably with that, all of these words, and then before you activate it and uh, send it out to your internal sort of, you know, activation teams, make sure you simplify it in a way that it's easier to translate in, it into campaigns and innovation, etc. right? So Absolutely. It's definitely not making it easy for yourself. It takes right. hard work to achieve simplification. If you can get to two or three words that convey right. your brand, that everyone understands, that's not just the thought of the the idea of sitting in a room and going, hmm, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that word. That's going to work for my brand. It takes a lot of digging, a lot of research, a lot of synthesis. Yeah, I could see that. And do you have an example that you think of a brand that has done this incredibly well? You know, I, I was thinking about this beforehand because I was I knew we'd be talking about <laughs> brands and thinking about who's yeah. done it well. And there are a couple that come to mind. I think Coca-Cola has done this consistently brilliantly over time. And if we think about joy and happiness, those are the words that I think most of us would associate with Coca-Cola. Um, By the way, the that's, an, that's an interesting example of uh, simple, yet uh, really behind happiness is a very complex experiential mm. world, right? These are yeah. moments, but, but, but the word, the final word is one simple sort of happiness, right? Yeah, exactly. And you think at the, at the premium end, I used to do some work. You mentioned that I worked at Platinum Guild. I used to do um, some work in that um, high end of the market with um, luxury and premium brands. And there's a watch brand I'm sure you know called Hublot. And they have got a yeah, really interesting founder story as well, right? They've got the art of fusion. And that's it. It's about if you hear the, the um, them talking about the the reason that fusion is what they're about, it's about how the materials that they use for their watches come from the Big Bang. That was the last time those materials of rubber <laughs> and gold were together, and now they're bringing them back. And that idea of fusion sits at the heart of everything that they do, all their product innovation. And I love that. Mm. That's one that's just really got the essence of the brand in it. Yeah. Laura, I, I love I love the stress on on simplicity. Uh, just ha having been at this for about thirty years, you know, I always get kind of a giggle when I come across positioning statements that are are compound complex sentences. <laughs> you know, where uh, it, it's clear that a, a brand leader is trying to be everything to everyone and ends up with <laughs> yeah. just this unownable mishmash of very positive but unownable thoughts. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I think. I think as brand managers and as marketers, we shouldn't be afraid of leaving stuff out. You know, as as you mm -hmm. said, Dawa, it's yeah. about the spending time with the stuff that you've generated and um, distilling it and distilling it and distilling it. And don't feel the obligation to have a big brand framework that includes lots of things. That's what I, I was thinking around. Do the things that are right for your business. Is your business a visual business? Is it a values-based business? Is it a business that is led by functional proof points? 
And yeah. once you've got the essence of your positioning, work out the two or three as a maximum other things, I'd say, that are going to be required for everyone to understand it right. Very good. That that's yeah. great. The the don't be afraid to leave stuff outlined is that uh, that is mm. very powerful advice. We could probably apply that to many parts of our lives, right? Mm. Um, what well, Laura? What about just kind of on, on the other end? We, we asked you, you know, for some examples about you know brands that get it right. Um, what are some things that uh, kind of brands do in the area of positioning to to kind of go astray? I think there's an internal and an external element to that. I think internally overcomplicating positioning um, is something that has the potential to lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos. And I think we've all seen the result of that where you'll see your, your touch points with brand across communications, across product, across their website will jar. It just won't feel true to purpose and there are things in that like financial services i come back to time and again and i don't want to sort of mm. call out any bad aspects of it but there is often you know if you think about the big financial services brand campaigns that are all very much we're here for you we're going to support you through life and then you go to a website and it's incredibly complex to navigate and you don't know what you're trying to do because you don't speak financial services language and it's because that overarching idea hasn't been translated down into every decision the brand makes. And it, it is possible yeah. for financial services. You know, historically, there's a lot of red tape around it. But you look at the likes of fintech, think about Monzo, I was just, I was think just thinking about, about Lemonade. Yeah, exactly. Some of those new fintech uh, brands, they are they are getting it right. They're stepping right, they're jumping right into that gap Exactly. That big yeah. brands are leaving, leaving open. And they've positioned themselves beautifully. If you think about the Monzo marketing team sitting there yeah. going, what are the brand associations we want in the mind of our consumer? That on, are going an emotion, to on an emotional level, right? Yes, absolutely. It's not just about function. It's about emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Starling Bank do it beautifully as well. I think they were one of the first fintech brands to introduce goal setting into the way in which you're money management on the app platform works right you know you can um, ring fence money to go against a specific saving goal that you've got and it now feels quite basic but at the time it was revolutionary and it's exactly. touching into that what do our consumers want what do they feel guilty about yeah what do we want to be able to help them with it's funny laura that i've had many discussions in the past with um in the financial industry and a few other categories where uh, where they would tell me, well, you know, I understand that emotional positioning, but in our category, it should be all functional. It's all driven by functions. Our category is different. And I've heard that in the financial category. I've heard that in utilities, right? And now, I, right. And yeah, now the, I have heard that right. so often. I've had the conversations where, and it, it, it's because the, the emotional stuff is the hardest stuff to create, exactly. right? But if you look at what creates equity and what is going to be enduring that will allow you as a brand to exist in the future, it is the emotional stuff, the functional stuff anyone can come after you with, especially if it's price. We won't get started on that one. There's a whole yeah. other podcast for you guys, I'm sure. Yeah. But 
a functional thing, a technological advancement, a new entry into the market from a different competitor, those things can very quickly erode your functional associations and benefits. What they can't erode anywhere near as easily is your emotional associations. Yeah. And that's what drives the biggest amount of equity amongst brands. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one other data point to that discussion. I think uh, just looking at, at financial services, as, as Dawa said, uh, you will often hear brand leaders kind of dismiss you know, the emotional availability in the category. But if you look at uh, how people define happiness, contentment um, these days, and look at the relationships between that and financial well-being versus their physical health, you actually find stronger connections between financial well-being and and contentment than you do between personal health and contentment. So to tell me that that's not an emotionally resonant space is kind of ridiculous, right? It's like, come on, I, I think we need to uh, d- dispense with with that cliche. Uh, Laura, I noticed you also um, had, had done some writing just on uh, brands tending to get a little too focused on on tactics. Um, right uh, at, at the expense of position. I wondered if you could uh, expand upon that thought a bit. Yeah, so I think if we think about brand management as three different components, right? So you've got the strategy part of brand management, which is what we're sort of focusing on with this discussion of purpose and positioning. You've got the bit that feeds into that, which is real understanding of the brand. So if we think about that as brand diagnosis, Then you've got the tactics, which is how you execute your strategy, right? And I think an awful lot of effort and investment is made in the tactics without spending enough time really getting the other two right. And I understand why Um, I speak to brand leaders, um, CMOs quite a lot. And a recurring question that I get from them is, what should we be doing with social media? Right. Which social media platforms should we be present on? And for me, if you've got the strategy right, if you understand your positioning, if you know who your target cons- consumer is, if you know what associations you want to build in the mind of those consumers, the social media strategy, the channel strategy will follow. You can't have the tactical execution delivered until you've done the real thinking up front. Mm-hmm. Whereas there is such a knee-jerk reaction, and I think it probably comes from being in high-pressure client environments where there are questions asked. Well, what are we doing about Gen Z? What are we doing about TikTok? Because that's what the noise is in the marketing sphere. That's what non-marketers are hearing about. And without a real understanding of what brand management and brand planning looks like, then the questions do come. Have we got a plan for TikTok or whatever yeah. the latest platform is? So, so Laura, let me just um, uh, pull back to your story on simplicity. If I um, uh, think about some of the previous podcasts that we have, right? Many of the, uh, in, in some of our uh, previous podcasts, we've been talking about how the world is becoming more volatile than ever before, right? There are more contextual changes. Uh, we are coming slowly but surely out of the COVID p- pandemic, but we're still in the sort of the climate change. There are a lot of social issues, the social unrest, parts of the world are still hit by corruption and democratic uh, challenges. Uh, so we're we're in a different world. So how is your story 
possibly more relevant than ever in today's volatile world. Um, yeah. Can you yeah. say something? <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, if we just put ourselves in the position of being consumers, which we all are, it's no new news to say that there is so much noise. There are so many different platforms and media and companies and businesses and brands vying for our attention. So in that space, if we think about all that, achieving cut through to a consumer, making something meaningful that is going to stick requires you to be single minded. It requires you to have a single point of focus. And that's where I get a little bit frustrated with these brand purposes that focus purely on sustainability initiatives. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are going to buy most FMCG brands because they have a sustainability agenda. Mm-hmm. They're not going to buy you if you don't. So rather than building it into brand purpose and making it a key part of your positioning, you should be considering it as table stakes. And your brand positioning and your brand purpose should be very single-minded, very simple, very consistent, because that's how you're going to achieve cut through in a very complex world. Right. So your story today is more relevant than ever before. Yeah. Well, I think so. I've never lived before. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what Egypt was like in the ancient no, 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 Egyptian no, no, no. times. <laughs> I, I'm actually both thinking of sort of pre, pre-COVID and pre yeah. some of the... So, so, Chris, do you have any... Because I want to slowly but surely move to, my, uh, to, the, to, to our last question that we normally ask about things that our readers or our listeners uh, should try to remember. Is there anything that you have, uh, any last questions for Laura? Well, or um, or Bob, Bob, either one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Bob has been curiously silent. I know I haven't seen, I haven't seen his tail. <laughs> um, so um, actually, yeah, just uh, w- one more little thread I'd like to to pull out there, Laura. You, you talked about consistency, in, in right in in that last bit, um, and I've noticed uh, just over the years that's um, that's often uh, a, a point of failure, right? And and it's it's probably. Uh, a bit of human behavior, right? You, you have uh, you have somebody new comes in to to lead a brand every few years, and I think one of the the first temptations is to put your stamp on the brand. Right? The first thing you do is go, oh, let's let's reconsider the positioning of the brand, and and as a result, uh, you, you know you, you have a lot of shifts in direction. You know every, every few years, uh, I, I would contend that to to really own a perceptual space. It requires consistency, patience, uh, perseverance. Um, as just in your experience, kind of what's your take on that? Absolutely. That's very true. I think it's important to recognize within that that the world does change and the forces around consumers and the things that move us forward in terms of progress as societies, as cultures, as individuals, those things might shift the way a positioning manifests or the way a brand needs to show up in the world. But that doesn't mean that your positioning changes. I think good brand management is about understanding how the consumer world has changed that is going to influence perceptions around your positioning. So, for example, I think I had Mark Ritson talk about this and he's a very trusted voice in this space, right? but he was using the example of Dior that in the 50s, 
was, you know, Christian Dior created this new look and it was very provocative. It was very challenging and it was mm. feminine and it was glamorous. And if you see the brand tracking through the decades following his death, it remained feminine. <laughs> Did it remain mm. provocative? It lost that provocation and they brought in Galliano to bring that provocation back in. And his first catwalk show in Paris, I think it was his first one for Dior, it might not have been, but it had, um, it was like a, a homeless person chic. That was what he bought. And it was that same idea of provocation. It wasn't a change to the brand positioning, but it recognized how the world around had changed and what provocation meant. So I think, Chris, you're ex absolutely right. A lot of brand managers or CMOs are brought in and feel like they have to make their stamp on it. But I think the best ways of managing brands that are really understand, take the time to understand what it meant at its core, what it meant at its founding, what are the heritage, what are the roots, and what do those mean in today's world? Might need to do a bit of brand revitalization, might need to do repositioning. It's unlikely though, I think you, if you're managing it well, um, you'll be able to pick it up where it is, dust it off, um, and make mm -hmm. it relevant in today's world. Yeah, oh, that's very well great said. Great example. Yeah. yeah, sometimes sometimes stewardship and revitalization are more important than splash. But uh, yeah, yeah. Dalla, um, over to you, sir. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> I thought this is one of these are one of the one of those conversations that can go on for hours. I'm super interested and excited about this, but um, I do want to sort of finish with the last question, Laura, that we ask all of our uh, uh, guests. That is, um, uh, there are many many ideas that you have mentioned, right? But um, if you want to leave our listeners with one thought, one idea that they can take with them and do differently, what would it be? Like one word, that's the whole thing. I was going to say, I don't think word. you'll be surprised to mm -hmm. hear that it's going to be one word and the word is going to be simplicity. Awesome. Then we leave it at that. I, that's that's great. Um, you're owning the brand, uh, Laura. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, for an inspiring conversation on on back to basics and and why is it uh, more relevant than ever at the moment? Um, now, if you want to learn more about the topic, or if you have a question for Laura uh, or for us, uh, please send us an email to gettingitright at ipsos.com. Uh, I hope you listen to our next episode, and in our next episode, we'll interview another inspiring guest or two on yet another innovative brand topic. And thank you very much, and we'll hope to uh, to have you back on our show or listening to our show in two weeks' time. Thank you, and goodbye. Mm -hmm.